Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at vab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at chapters 2 through 5 of Lamentations. For a small review, traditionally Jeremiah has been attributed to writing this book. It was written after the fall of Jerusalem and the temple's destruction due to Babylon in 587-586 BC. The book has five poems, which are the five chapters. The first four are acrostics using the Hebrew alphabet, which is why they have 22 verses, except for chapter 3, which wrote three lines of acrostics with each letter, so it has 66 verses. The word lamentation means an expression of grief over a catastrophe that is irreversible. According to my Old Testament textbook, a survey of the Old Testament by Hill and Walton, there is a distinction between lamentation and lament. They define lament as an appeal to a merciful God for divine intervention in a desperate situation. Yet, When I did a Google search, the definition came up the same for both words, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, and for lamentation, they added the word weeping. In the Hebrew Bible, many of the books are named after the first word in the book. So, with lamentations, in the Hebrew text, the title is How. If you notice, chapters 1, 2, and 4 all begin with how. This word was often used in the opening line of Israelite funeral dirges or songs that were sung at funerals. They are mourning the loss of their home, their way of life, and their loved ones. Chapter 1 began with the writer looking at Jerusalem, but midway in verse 11, the writing switches as if Jerusalem herself is praying to the Lord. The theme of chapter 1 was the loneliness and comfortless plight of the city, says C. Hassel Bullock in his book, An Introduction to the Old Testament Prophetic Books. The theme for chapter 2 is found in verse 1. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. The Lord's anger or his wrath is mentioned throughout this lament. According to Bullock, the author uses three different Hebrew nouns for Yahweh's wrath with two verbal expressions. In English, we see two different words, anger and wrath. But we do see the two verbal expressions in verse 3c. And he has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire consuming round about him. That's found in page 325 of Bullock's book. In chapter 2, we see anger or wrath twice in verse 1. Then once in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 6. And then toward the end in verses 21 and 22. We also see the phrase, in the day of his anger, verse 1, verse 21, in the day of your anger, and then verse 22, in the day of the Lord's anger, as if they are bookends to this poem. 
Dr. Betts in Old Testament class says that verses 5 and 6 are key verses of the entire book. And the first line of verse 5 says, The Lord has become like an enemy. In the first half of chapter 2, we see the Lord has, the Lord has, the Lord has, and he has, he has, he has. But then midway in verse 11, we see a change. Now it is, my eyes fail because of tears, my spirit, my heart, and the writer is crying out in anguish. In this chapter, we get a closer look at how bad things have gotten in Jerusalem. Before it was fully demolished, King Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege on Jerusalem. Jerusalem's King Zedekiah refused to surrender, so the people were trapped in the walled city. They could not get food. This chapter tells us that little children were in the streets begging and dying because there was no food and the people had resorted to cannibalism. Verse 14 says, Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity, but they have seen for your false and misleading oracles. If you remember, Jeremiah cried out for repentance and for the people to surrender to Babylon because the Lord told them that this was going to happen, but they would not listen. And many times it was the false prophets who would put Jeremiah in prison and try to kill him. Then verse 16 and 17 say, All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached it and we have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing. He has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Here we see a little bit of Jeremiah saying, I told you so. Bullock says in his book on page 320, The book of Lamentations is not prophecy in the strictest sense of the word, but it is a vindication of the prophets and their view of Israel's covenantal relationship to Yahweh along with their assessment of the consequences for violating it. He also quotes Delbert R. Hillers, who, quote, has remarked that the book is the amen of the prophetic pronouncements of judgment for Israel's sins, end of quote. This quote was found in the Anchor Bible under the book Lamentations. As Dr. Betts said in class, God is thorough of his judgment. No one can escape. It doesn't matter who you are children, priests, prophets, the elderly, no one escaped. The last line of chapter 2 ends, you called as in the day of an appointed feast, my terrors on every side, and there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the Lord's anger. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. Chapter 3, which is the core of the book, begins, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. 
it ties into poem number two's theme of anger and wrath of the Lord. One thing that scholars disagree on is if the I in this chapter is in reference to the writer himself, so some think that would be Jeremiah, which is my opinion, or is the I a personification of the nation of Judah? It probably is not the personification of Jerusalem because usually the city is referred to in the feminine pronoun. Verses 1 through 18 is a personal lament, which ends with, So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Yet, ladies, the next verses bring forth hope, because no longer is the person complaining about the troubles. Instead, he is praying to the Lord. Verse 19, he is crying out to the Lord, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. He continued, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. And then Dr. Bett says that this is the second set of key verses in the book of Lamentations. In verses 21 through 29 of chapter 3, hope is mentioned three times. There is light in the darkness, and it comes when he looks up and reminds himself of the character of God. The Lord's loving kindness never stops. His compassion does not fail. God is faithful. The Lord is his portion. The Lord is good. The Lord does not afflict willingly. In other words, there is a reason for this. This is why in verses 40 and 41 of chapter 3, the writer says, Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. We lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. In other words, we need to repent. The writer then reminds the Lord of his pain And then the end of chapter 3 cries out to the Lord to bring to the enemies what the Lord has brought to Judah. Verse 66 says, You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. This chapter begins and ends with the Lord's anger. And in the middle of this chapter and in the middle of this book, we see that the Lord is faithful, so we can have hope. With chapter 4, there is a review of how bad the situation was in Judah. Verse 6 reads, For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom. And then once again in verse 11, the middle of the poem, we see a shift. It reads, The Lord has accomplished his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger, and he has kindled a fire in Zion, which has consumed its foundations. Again, in this chapter, we see the words wrath, anger, kindled, fire, and consumed. This lament 
ends with, the punishment of your iniquity has been completed, O daughter of Zion. He will exile you no longer, but he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will expose your sins. Judah was destroyed. The people were exiled out. There was nothing left. In other words, they were at rock bottom. And as you know, when down there, there is only one way to go, and that is up. But before that happens, again, the writer is reminding Edom, who had helped Babylon, that they too will receive judgment from the Lord. The last chapter of Lamentations is not like any of the others. It is not an acrostic. It is a plea for restoration, and it is described as a communal lament. In other words, the community is lamenting. It starts, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. And then there is a long list of horrible situations that they find themselves in, very similar to chapter 2. Verses 15 and 16 say, The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Then the chapter and the book ends with, You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. It is interesting that the question that has been throughout the book is how, yet it ends with the question, why? One thing laments like this show us is that it is okay to ask the Lord either how or why. Dr. Betts said in Old Testament class, I don't think it is a reflection of a lack of faith in God, but it is recognition of the devastation that has come by God's judgment and the sin that they have done. They are wondering if this has become the last straw. Is God through with us? God made this covenant, but have we gone too far to never come back? Ladies, we know that the answer to that question is no. Some people call this feeling divine abandonment, and others call it the dark night of the soul. There are no easy answers to why. It is a process of faith, a walking in the darkness. And truth is, ladies, nobody else can walk it for you. It's a journey between you and the Lord. But we can cry out to the Lord. And he promises us that if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. We will see that in Ezekiel and Daniel, the next two books in the major prophets, these men were in exile and they were faithful and God guided them in the darkness. 
In my Old Testament textbook, A Survey of the Old Testament by Helen Walton, they have a chart by R.B.Y. Scott, which gives eight solutions to the problem of human suffering based on his analysis of Old Testament wisdom literature. Here are the eight reasons. Retribution, which means punishment for sin. Disciplinary, in order to correct behavior. Probationary, God testing our hearts. Temporary, in comparison with the good or bad fortunes of others. Inevitable, as a result of the fall of humanity. Mysterious, since God's character and plan are beyond us. Haphazard and morally meaningless, in that time and chance happen to all. And vicarious, when one suffers for another or for the many. This is found in pages 548 and 549. Sometimes knowing the answer to why helps, sometimes not. One thing I find is that the evil one gets me to doubt the character of God when bad things happen. But just like this writer in chapter 3, when we stand firm on what we know of God and who he is, it gives us hope in the darkness. One thing that can be an encouragement is to remember that we are never, ever alone in our pain or our sorrow. Everyone experiences it. People like Jeremiah have gone before us. And truth is, when I look at his pain, mine doesn't seem quite so bad. Even in the New Testament, Christians suffered. The Apostle Paul in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 7, talks about his thorn in the flesh. We do not know what it is. But he asked the Lord three times to take it away. But the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord Jesus also suffered and died on the cross for you and for me so that we can overcome. This is one plus about being older, ladies. I've seen the Lord's faithfulness, even in my doubts, even in my difficulties, even in the numerous times I've crumpled to the floor, crying out either why or how or help me. And I found that he is so, so good. And he loves you and me. And that love is unconditional. His steadfast love, his hesed love never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. So if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Don't turn against him. Turn toward him and cry out and obey. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.